Thank you for listening to the Vantage Point Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, hey, good morning. I'm Kyle. So glad to have you with us. Hey, we are in the middle of our summer series uh, called Summer Playlist. And what we like to do around here is over the summer, we have a little bit of extra time to kind of dive uh, deeper into some scriptures. So we're doing Summer Playlist. We're looking at the Psalms. And uh, this is the, the songs of scripture and the songs of our lives. And, you know, we've said... You know, music is such an incredibly powerful thing. It, it, it has an effect on us in, in ways nothing else does. And right in the middle of the Bible, God puts a book of songs, songs for every situation in our lives. It's just incredible. So we've been having a lot of fun kind of diving into those songs. And so um, the question the psalmist is asking today is this. Why don't you take a listen? Is it too late now to say sorry? Because I'm... You can sing along later if you know the words. Yeah, we're not gonna. Pre- hey, hey! I just gotta say this. I was thinking about playing this song, but I decided not to do that. I decided that would not be appropriate for church, so I didn't play it today. Okay, so you're you're welcome. Uh, my email is Kyle at vantagepointchurch.net. You can send me your complaints that I will not open. Um, anyhow, but hey, <laughs> if you have a Bible this morning, you can turn to Psalm 51, Psalm 51, and I wanted to kind of start things off a little bit light because the psalm we're going to look at is actually, I think, some of the, the most real and raw writing in Scripture, and if you don't have a Bible handy, that's okay, we're going to have the verses on the screen, but Psalm 51, it asks that question, it asks the question, is it too late to say sorry? Can I really change? And, and some of you may be wondering that, maybe you've asked that question in your own life, There's some situations that you're just, you know, you're wondering, can I change? Is it possible? Can I be different? You know, I I keep falling into these these bad relationships. I keep making these poor decisions with my finances. I keep doing the same thing over and over again, and and I want to change. I want things to be different, but am I too far gone? Is it too late to say sorry? Can I really change? And so we look at the heading of this psalm, and we're going to throw that on the screen. This kind of gives us a glimpse of what this song is all about. And it says this, A psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So right off the bat, we know, like, this is, he's writing this at at one of the most, you know, one of the worst moments of his life. And if you were to follow the story along in Scripture, the whole thing is written out in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. And I encourage you, maybe it's sometime this week, go back and, and read that account. But Basically, what happens is this, is one night, David, he's restless, he can't sleep, Um, all his buddies are gone, they're off at war, but David, for some reason, decides to stay at home, and so he's restless, he wakes up, and he decides he's going to go take a a walk on the roof of his house, and while he's doing that, he notices a young lady bathing, and he wonders, who is this woman? So he asks one of his servants, hey, go find out who that is, and they come back, and they tell him, David, this is is, uh, Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. And, and it should have ended right there. He should have just gone back to, to bed. But instead, David says, bring her to me. And he goes and they, they bring this woman to David. And he proceeds to sleep with her. And then he sends her away. And a short time later, she sends word to David saying, I'm pregnant. So what does David do? Well, he calls for her husband, Uriah, who's a soldier. He's out at war fighting for the country, doing the things that David should be doing. He calls him home. 
And he brings Uriah to the, to the palace, and he has dinner with him, and he, he gives him a bunch of wine, kind of gets him liquored up, and he says, hey, Uriah, go home and enjoy your wife and, and take the night off before you return back to war. Well, David wakes up the next morning to find that Uriah had slept the entire night on the steps of the palace. And David says, well, what are you doing? Why didn't you go, why didn't you go home? And, and Uriah says, how, how could I go and enjoy uh, the, the pleasures of home when my countrymen are out fighting, you know, I would never do that. So David, so David sends him back to war. And I don't know if he, he sends a letter with Uriah, that'd be pretty cold, but he sends a letter to one of his generals saying, hey, I want you to promote Uriah up to the, to the front of the battle, to where the fighting is the most intense, and I want you to call the other men back. And the general knew what David was saying, basically, is, is leave him alone. He's not ready for this. He's going he's gonna to die. And so that happens. And Bathsheba goes into mourning. And after a few days, after her period of mourning is over, David goes and he calls for, for Bathsheba to come to his house. And he marries her. And she, gets, and she is, is pregnant with her child. And, and so David is acting like, I dodged a bullet. Everything is good. Life goes on until one day there's a knock at his door. And it's, it's his good friend, the prophet Nathan. He comes to David's house, and David welcomes him. Hey, how's it going? And, and Nathan says, David, I, I have an issue. I need your help with something. Can you help me? And David says, well, well tell me what's going on. And Nathan says, well, there's this, there's this man who has a, he's a very wealthy man, and he, he was having a banquet for his friends, and he owns a bunch of property and, and a bunch of cattle and all this sheep. But he has this party for his friends, and he sees his neighbor has this one small sheep. And and he goes and he takes the, the sheep. And the sheep, it was like the family pet. It was like the, the sheep actually, you know, sat at the, the family's table and the kids named it. You know, it's never good to name an animal, you know what I'm saying? Because if you let your kids name the animal, it's, you're never going to have bacon from the animal. But anyhow, so this, this rich man slaughters this sheep and serves it to his guests. And he said to David, David, what should we do about this situation? And David is just... He is just indignant. He's like, this is wrong. This should never have happened. This man should be executed. And just, side note, isn't it amazing how we can hold two opposing views? How we can just rail on something as being horrible and morally just wrong, and yet at the same time, we can like, completely ignore another area of our own life. I mean, there are so many examples I could think of, but I'll use a simple one. You know, maybe you see someone and like, ah, oh, they're smoking Oh, my God, how could someone in today's day and age, knowing everything we know, why would they? They're just destroying their body. That's terrible. I can't believe that they would be doing that. Yes, I'll take the triple bypass burger, um, super size of fries. Yes, I can I get extra heart attack sauce and a Diet Coke because I am trying to be healthy. <laughs> Smoking. Ugh. But we do that, don't we? We do that. We hold opposing views and we say, this is terrible. And yet we ignore things in our own life. And so David says, this is awful. I can't believe that. Who would be so callous to do this? Who would do such a thing? And Nathan says, you are the man. Microphone drop. Right? And he, he proceeds to call David out on his sin. He says, David, you went after another man's wife. You, you coerced her into sleeping with you because think about it. David, you're the king. I mean, how much choice did she really have in whether or not she slept with you? You know, you're, you're this, in this position of power. Could she really say no? We're not sure. And then you lied 
and you tried to cover it up, and, and you had her husband murdered. And I know you thought, well, I have deniability. I, I, you know, I put him to the front, but you knew what was going to happen. And then his body is not even cold, and, and you just take what you want. You marry his wife, and you just go on as if life is just fine and nothing has happened. But all the while, the pressure is building. See, David has kind of built this whole house of cards with his life, and he's kind of juggling. He's doing mental gymnastics, trying to make everything add up and everything work. And, and all of a sudden, at one moment, it's like he can't steady the thing any longer. And the entire house of cards, which is his life, comes tumbling down. And there's nothing he can do to stop it. And the question we ask is, what do we do when we fail? What do we do when we have blown up our lives? We've messed up. We have hit bottom. What what do we do in those situations? How do we respond? Well, when we've done things that we're ashamed of, we said, okay, I'm I'm never going to let it get this far. I'm never going to cross that line, and yet we do. Well, I'm never going to do this. Well, at least I'll, I'll never do that again. But we go and we do it again. And then we wonder, am I too far gone? Is it too late for me? Maybe I really can't change. Is it too late to say sorry? Now I want to just pause here and come out for a second. I'm just going to kind of spoil the message for a minute because I don't want you to wait one more second. The answer to that question is no. It is never too late. It is never too late to turn to God and to come to him and say, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own anymore. David in another psalm, he says this, where can I go from your presence? God, I can't seem to escape you. Even if I make my bed in hell, and some of you, you've spent a night there before, haven't you? Even if I make my bed in hell, you're there. You can always cry out to God. It's amazing, though. If you were to follow the rest of David's story, we're honest, come on. People don't recover from falls like this. You know, we've seen in our culture, you know, someone makes a a grave error and they fall into things like this, and they may survive it, but they they just, they kind of limp along. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, they, they did that thing, and everyone constantly remembers that. And yet David... It's amazing. He doesn't just survive this. He actually comes out of this thriving. It's amazing. He comes out of it stronger, better, more of a person of God. And I want to say that you can too. If you are struggling with sin, if you are dealing with issues, the first thing that David shows us is that we can come to God when we're bad. You can come to God when you're dirty, when you're ashamed, when when your life is completely messed up. We don't have to wait until we have it all together. God can transform your life, and that's what he does with David. That's what he does in David's life. We can do that too if we do what David did in Psalm 51. Okay, big introduction, but let's keep going. Let's look at Psalm 51 together now. Uh, You can follow along in Scripture. We'll have the verses on the screen. It says this, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sins. For I acknowledge that my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you only, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Verse 6, yet you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, 
and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, O Lord, and my mouth will, will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. What an incredible song. And David, as I said, he shows us what to do when we've sinned. He shows us what to do when we've failed. He comes to God. He brings all his junk. He brings his shame and his hurt and his brokenness, and he brings it to God, and he lets us know it's okay to come to God when you're bad. It's okay to come to God when you're broken, and God can transform us. Now, I understand you might be saying, okay, I've done that. I, I've gone to God when I, I've messed up. I've gone to God, and I've asked for forgiveness. And if I'm being real honest, I don't think it's really changed me. I don't think I've really changed anything. The only thing that's happened is I, is I walk away just feeling bad about myself. I, I can get that. I've been there before. But I think that's because that we don't understand what the Bible calls repentance. See, biblical uh, repentance is more than just beating ourselves up and saying, God, I'm sorry that I suck so much. Please help me to not suck so much. Okay? Some of you, let's be honest, that's what, that has been your experience of repentance. We just come to God and, God, oh, why am I so, why am I like this? God, forgive me. And we beat ourselves up. And, and we're worn out. But here's the thing. Biblical repentance, and that just basically means what the Bible says, we should, how we should respond when we sin. That's what biblical repentance is, is different. So here's what I'm going to do. For the next few minutes, I want us just to, to look and what the Bible says repentance is like. And how, how real change happens in our lives. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one is this. Biblical repentance is more than asking God to do something for me. It's asking God to do something in me. Okay, it's more than just asking. It's more than, than do something for me. It's saying, God, will you, will you do something inside of me? See, for a lot of us, when we think of forgiveness, kind of what we think of is, is you know, when you say, well, forgive me, what we're thinking is, is give me a pass. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't be mad at me. Can, can you let this thing go? Um, we think that it's something that's done for us. But David recognizes that, that forgiveness, we need more than just forgiveness. We need God to do something inside of us. And so he invites God to work inside his life. Let's look at verse 2. He says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sins. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart. You see what he's saying? He says, wash me, cleanse me, create in me. He said, I need you to do something inside me. The problem is, is for a lot of us and in our American culture, we think of sin, we think of a mistake. Oh, I made a mistake. I, I messed up. I, I really didn't mean to do that. And actually what we don't realize is, is really what's happening here is it's not that we didn't mean to do something. It's that we didn't know that it was going to lead to something. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we, we enjoyed this, this little thing we were kind of hanging on to. I didn't realize it would hurt my family. I didn't realize it would blow up my marriage. I didn't realize it would become an addiction. I didn't realize it would cause so much destruction. I didn't mean 
to do that. We think, we think sin happens out here. We think it's something that we do, and it's external and accidental. But, but David recognizes, no, no he, he says there's something wrong inside of me. There's something internal that's going on. And so he, he acknowledges that. See, sin is not a mistake. Sin is a sickness. David says there's something sick in me that, that's causing this to happen. It's kind of like this. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I, had, I was friends with this veteran youth pastor. He'd been a youth pastor for like 20 years. This guy was amazing, a lot of stories. But he told me about this one girl who was in his youth group. And uh, she was very involved, active, bubbly personality. One of those, those kids that was just, you know, she was a cheerleader, and everyone knew it because she was, just, anyhow, what you would think of as a cheerleader. This is what this girl was like. Anyhow, um, something happened. Something changed around the middle of her sophomore or junior year. Um, she just kind of started becoming run down, and, and she started putting on some, some extra weight, and she couldn't seem to lose the weight. And so that caused some depression and it kind of spiraled, and she made some bad choices. And, and after high school, just kind of had some, some dark days in her story. Well, a few years later, she ended up going to a doctor, and the doctor kind of dug in and did some research, was asking some different questions, and figured out that, you know what, when she was a sophomore in high school, she went on a missions trip with her youth group, and they went to South America. <clears throat> and when you go on these missions trips, they, they have all these different rules, you know, uh, make sure that you... Stay with the group and don't go anywhere after after evening. Don't drink the water and only eat the food that's provided to you by your host. Well, it was the last day of the mission trip, and this girl and some other people right outside of the, the facility they were staying at, they saw a, a street vendor. And it smelled so good, and it's the last day of the trip, so they went and they ate from a street cart. And the little Chino, seven years down the road, they found out, you know, the food must have been some, some contaminants in it, and she got a parasite. She had a parasite that would so cause it so she couldn't lose weight. No matter what she did, she couldn't lose weight and it affected her mood. And it just caused these, these issues in her life. And here's the thing. We can experience the same things spiritually. Because we live in a world where we are surrounded by contaminants, right? Things like, like lust and greed and bitterness and insecurity. And here's the thing. If we don't feed from the right places... It, it, come on, if we don't feed from the right source, it's so easy just to feed from social media, just to feed from those, those friends that want to gossip and, and kind of always talk negative. If we don't feed from the right place, we drink from a contaminated source, the contaminants around us can get inside of us and make us sick. Think about what, what it looks like when you're physically sick, being spiritually weak, having shaky faith, being lethargic, blurred vision so we can't see right. And, this, and we'll be like this girl that no matter what we do, she tried changing her diet, she tried changing her exercise, but it just seemed like nothing would help her to change. That's why David said, purge me with hyssop. He said, I need you to do something inside of me, not just outside. Purge me with hyssop. Now, hyssop is kind of an interesting plant. It was used in temple worship. There was a strong, sturdy plant. So they would take it and they would, they would dip it in blood in the sacrifices and they would use it um, as part of like... Uh, an atonement ceremony. I can get all deep, but I'm not going to. Um, but the interesting thing is it also had some very practical elements to it as well. I mean, they would use it for these ceremonies to, to, to make things clean outwardly, but actually you could take hyssop and you could grind it up, and you know what they would use it for? A laxative. A laxative. Now, I thought about kind of going in depth about, you know, preaching on that, but I realized I am no longer a youth pastor, 
And so I'm not going to do that. Um, I'll let you just kind of think of the implications, right? But we need to be cleaned from the inside out. See, because we can pray and pray and ask for forgiveness again and again, but if we don't, if we don't cleanse ourselves from those contaminants, those things on the inside, you're just going to get reinfected. We're just going to get sick again in the same places. And so he says, David says, he doesn't just say, forgive me. He says, no, I need you to purge me. I need you to do work on the inside. Would you purge me from pride? Because maybe that's causing the issue in my marriage. What's happening out here in my marriage is because I need you to purge me from the pride in my heart. God, would you purge me from fear? The reason why I haven't had those conversations I need to have is because I've never allowed you to purge me from, pe from fear or self-reliance. See, repentance is not just something that's done for us. It's something that's done in us. If we want to experience real change, if we don't want tomorrow to feel like yesterday, if we don't want next month to be like last month, we need to invite God, say, God, I need you to work inside of my heart and my life. Number two, God is more interested in changing what we believe than how we behave. God is more interested in changing what we believe than how we behave. And I think if you're a parent in this room, you get that, right? I mean, come on, we all know this. If you're a parent, we can get our kids to, to follow along. We can get them to do what we want, you know, for a short time using a carrot and a stick, right, when they're little. I'll give you a cookie if you're good in the store, right? We use a carrot. I'll give you a cookie. And then as you get a little bit older, maybe we have to use the, the carrot. Hey, if you don't listen to me, I'm taking your phone, right? You know what I'm saying? We use a carrot and a stick, and that might work for a short time. They may obey. They may do behave the way we want. But when we're watching, but what does it look like when they're off in college? What does it look like when they get the keys to the car, when we're not always there, if they haven't internalized, they don't believe and they don't have, have the values. It's like this. I remember hearing a story about a, a father that was disciplining his young daughter for something. He had to give her a timeout. And he walked over to the seat. You know, you're going to sit here in timeout. And she said, I don't want to sit in timeout. And he said, well, if you don't sit in timeout, you're not going to get to go outside and play later today. So she goes and she sits down. And she looks up at her dad with his face. And you've seen the face. Maybe you've made the face. And, now, and then she says, I might be sitting down on the outside but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> that is so us. That is so us as humans, right? We, we, we do that. You do that at work. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Like, okay, I think the, the, the rules here at work are stupid, but I have to follow along, so this is ridiculous. But we perform outwardly, right? Some of us, we do that in our marriage. Like, okay, I think what my spouse wants here is really dumb, but I, you know, I need to stop talking. Um, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Anyhow. We do that, but God wants something more. That's why David recognizes this, verse 6. He says, yet you desire truth. He doesn't just want obedience. He wants truth, which is, is an inward reality. We understand why we're doing things the way we're doing. Truth in the inward parts. If it, if it doesn't stick in here, you know, we might behave right for a little while, but eventually it's going to catch up with us. He says, and in the hidden part, you'll make me know wisdom. Verse 16. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. David realizes that God is, is, he is so less concerned with image than we are, you know? Like, he, he's not into all the big displays, all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's like, I, you know, it doesn't care how, how, how much Christianese you use, you know, and, you know, well, God bless you, and oh, life is great, and let's just raise our hands and pretend like everything's, God doesn't care about the outward appearance so much. Right? But we live in an image-obsessed culture, don't we? 
I mean, think about it. Just think about the last time you tried to take a group picture with someone. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, no, you got to retake it. you got to retake it. You didn't get my good side. You need, you need to take it from this angle, right? That's, that's the angle I take every picture from. But you got to take it from this angle, and, and you, can, can you go a little bit higher? You, I don't want my hips in the picture. And that's just the guys, you know? Like, that's not even what the ladies want in their pictures. We crop and we filter everything. We're, we're very careful on the image we present to the world. We edit and re-edit our words. We don't have conversations. We have posts, right? And, and we're so concerned. We don't want to offend anyone. And because what's going to happen? We're going to get labeled. And, and you get labeled, and it doesn't matter what you say. This is, this is who you are. This is the culture that said this is who you are. And so then when someone does, you know, um, does do something wrong or, or says something out of line, what they'll say is, is oh, you know, I, I didn't mean to say that. That's not who I am. I'm working on my image. I'm just trying to, to repair my image. I'm just trying to be the best version of myself. You know what they're really saying is, is oops, you weren't supposed to see that. Something that is inside of me came out of me. And so that means I'm going to have to work harder to present a better image because obviously I can't let you see that image. So I'm going to repair my image all the while internally you're dying. Because image management is exhausting. It's exhausting and it's ineffective. We look at our culture. Look what we've been going through. Right? This, this we haven't gotten the results we want. Good meaning people. Have I wish I had words. I wish I would make the sermon so much longer. You know what I'm saying? Image management doesn't work. We need God to work inside. He needs to change our truth in the inward parts. That's what we need God to do. That's why David says, when, when I tried to do this, verse 3, my sin was always before me. I tried to put on a good show. I tried to, to do all these kingly things, but my sin was always there. God wants truth in the hidden parts, the places no one else sees, our thoughts and our motives. Because let's be honest, David, if you didn't know him real, on the outside, he looked great, didn't he? I mean, he was still doing all his kingly duties. He was still going to church or temple and being a good family man. And maybe on the outside you thought, well, wow, he promoted Uriah. Isn't that great? He gave Uriah a, a promotion. I think that's just so awesome. Oh, he died. Uriah died. Look at David. He's, he's taking in a widow and comforting her. Well, he's really comforting, isn't, isn't he? He's carrying, that's a, okay, right? From the outside, it looks good, but God is interested in the motives. He knows the motives of our heart. See, God knows this. If he can get us to see the way he sees, then we'll do what he says. If we could see the world from his perspective, from, from his vantage point, then we would, we would behave differently. It would be an inside out kind of thing. It's kind of like this. I had a whole story I was going to tell you about, you know, your kids and not, not running too close to the road, but I had something happen just last night. <laughs> and so one of my kids is going to get a dollar because I'm sharing a story about them. Um, but, you know, there are some perks to being a pastor's kid. But um, I think we probably all had the discussion with your kids about not playing with matches. And I've had those discussions with my kids. And usually it starts off we're talking about the consequences, you know. Hey, if you play with matches, you're, you're going to be grounded for, you know, five years. It's some ridiculous thing, you know. You're not going to get to go to camp or, or whatever it might be. So we start with the consequence. And maybe we'll obey because of the consequence, you know. Like, well, okay, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, you know, miss out on that. I want to be grounded. I, I think your rule is dumb. I can handle it, but I'll obey because I don't want the consequence. 
And then as time goes on, maybe they recognize the benefit. You know, you tell them, hey, you play with matches, you could burn yourself. You could get hurt. You could, you know, you could singe your clothing. You could lose your eyebrows, you know. No one wants that. Um, <laughs> filter. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you could ruin some of your toys. And so, okay, I'm going to obey now because I see the benefits for myself. But then last night we had an issue. One of my kids was playing with matches. And so I thought, you know, I've already told them about these other things. I'm going to come at it from, from a different angle. And so I allowed myself to, to really think and to feel these emotions. And I had a conversation with them. I said, hey, could you imagine what, what would have happened if I would have came home tonight and mom would have told me that you were badly burned? You, you can no longer play soccer. You can no longer play an instrument because you have third and fourth degree burns to your face. What, what if I would have came home? What if I would have got a, a phone call? Mom's blowing up my phone. Come to the hospital because your daughter is, is on life support, you know? And, and I said this, and I just I felt the emotions. I was tearing up. Next thing you know, she started bawling, so I, I did my job because she felt the emotions. And I said this, if that would have happened, I would have been devastated. Can you see the, the, the same thing? That's our Father in heaven. Right? We, we, we get to a point we don't obey because of the consequences or because of the benefit. But we recognize if I were to engage this, if I were to blow up my life, if I were to cause damage, it would devastate my Father in heaven who loves me so much. Later that night, we're getting ready to go to bed. And on my wife's pillow is this little note to mom. Now, I, I don't understand why she didn't write it to dad, but that's a different story. Okay. I made her cry probably. So it says this, mom. Sorry, Mom, for lighting matches. Please forgive me. I know I did a bad thing. I feel really bad about it. And she signed her name. You know, in the past, we tried to try to force our kids to apologize, force them to, to, to do these different things. She did that all on her own. That is the goal. We recognize, you know what? When I see as my Father in Heaven sees, I'm going to want to do what He says because what we truly believe will change how we behave. We do it the opposite. We've, we spend so much time and so much energy at working on our behavior and trying to, to have our image together and look right and, and do right. But here's the ultimate point. Number three, re biblical repentance at its core is relational. Biblical repentance, real change, if we want to change at its core, it's relational. It's like this. I remember as a kid, um, I was not the world's best kid, believe it or not. I know you're shocked. Um, I would get in trouble from time to time. But I remember having these reoccurring dreams where, you know, I must have been doing something wrong because in these dreams I was being chased by the police and they're trying to pull me over. And I always thought, okay, this must be a warning from God. Like, like I need to quit doing these dumb things because I'm going to be punished and it's a warning, right? Uh, God is a cop in my dream in this scenario. But it's interesting, though, if you look at what David asks of God, look at, look at verse 11. He says, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Think about it, though. If you were to leave here today and you get pulled over by an officer for speeding, what would be the best thing you could hear them say? I'm going to let you off. I'm going to let you off with a warning. I'm going to let you off. You can go. But listen to what David says. David says, I don't want to be let off. I want you to let me back in. See, God is not a cop. He wants to be the love of your life. 
right? He, he doesn't, we, David said, I don't want you to let me off. I don't want to just get away. I want to be in relationship with you, God. God, the thought of losing you wrecks me, right? It's like this. I remember when my wife and I, back in college, she wasn't my wife yet, uh, we were dating, and uh, we went to a Christian school, and, and I'll tell you this, we, we waited for marriage. We did not have sex before we got married, but I remember we, we knew we were going to get married, and we were getting closer to us getting married, and so I began to, to push our physical boundaries a little bit, and we went to a Christian school, and there was a code of conduct, and I was involved in leadership, and my, my I was going to say my wife, my girlfriend at the time, that sounds weird, uh, she was convicted by this, and so she told me, she said, hey, I just, I just want to let you know, I'm not going to say anything, I'm not going to hurt your reputation, you're not going to make you lose your leadership position, but, but I, I need to know I'm, I'm going to break up with you. And I remember in that moment thinking, I don't care about the stupid leadership position. I don't care about my reputation or saving face. I, actually, I, I cried. Uh, I, I, anyhow, I'm not trying to score points. But, <laughs> but if you want to tell my wife, then I, um, I don't want to lose this relationship. You are the most important person in my life. I, I don't care if I lose face or reputation. I just don't want to lose my relationship with you. And so, you know what we did? We went back, and she actually called her mom, my future mother-in-law, and we set up accountability. My, my mother, my future mother-in-law, my, my girlfriend was calling her up after dates to let, let my mom, her mother, yeah. It's even just weird to talk about, about our dates. Talk about accountability. Talk about being awkward, right? That's how, how important it was to us, okay? Here's the thing. If we want real change, if we want real change, that our relationship with God has got to become the most important thing to us. Not staying out of trouble, not saving face, not avoiding pain. Saying, God, you've been so good to me. I don't want to lose my relationship with you. And so David says this, verse 12. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So I've, I've lost the joy of my salvation. And, and we know that sin will do that. If we kind of harbor sin, if we kind of hold on to things that we know are, are not good, it will cause us to, to put distance between us and God. God doesn't go anywhere. We just kind of naturally drift away, and it drains our joy. But can I also suggest this? Not only does sin cause us to lose our joy, but I think sometimes maybe, maybe we en engage in sin because we've already started to lose the joy of our salvation. It's become routine. We've taken it for granted. This, this dynamic relationship with God at somewhere became religion became duty, an obligation, and a list of things that I don't do. We've, we're losing the joy of our salvation. The reason why we don't want to sin is because it would devastate the one that I love. So how do we change? How, how does change happen in our lives? I put this in my notes. That sometimes, sometimes things have to break for us to realize they're worth fixing. Sometimes things have to break for us to realize they're worth fixing. Look at verse 8. He says, let me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. <laughs> doesn't that sound strange? Like if you're me, I hear that. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I, I don't know if I like that verse. The bones you have broken may rejoice. It, it kind of sounds like punishment, doesn't it? It sounds like, like God's like going to break our bones for sinning. Like, I don't, that doesn't sit well with me. I don't like that. I didn't like spankings when I was a kid. Like, talking about breaking bones. But I think there's, it's not talking about punishment. See, sometimes 
when we're in the middle of repentance, and repentance can be painful, we can think that it's punishment, but that's a wrong perspective. It's like this. I have, have some missionary friends who have told me about kids in third world countries that, that when they have had broken bones, you know, they didn't have the medical resources or the financial resources for them to heal right. And so the bones would heal wrong, and they would sometimes fuse together wrong. And some of these little children would, would end up getting adopted. And they'd be adopted, and they would have to go to these specialists and these doctors. And you know what the doctors would have to do sometimes? They would have to re-break these bones. They'd have to re-break them so they could set them, so they could heal properly. Let me tell you, don't confuse pain for punishment. Pain is not always a sign of punishment. David recognizes what we need to see. I was broken to begin with. There are some broken places in my life that didn't heal right. Right? And the reasons we medicate the way we do, the reason why we turn to sin rather than to God is because we're medicating sometimes with substances or shopping, pornography, performance, things, relationships, all just to dull the pain momentarily. And we just limp along and continue to fall in the same places. But I want to tell you, God will break you to make you. God will, will, he will break you to make you stronger. He will break you to make you whole. Because we have a, a, a heavenly father. He loves you so much. He is so good. He doesn't just want you forgiven. He wants you fully functional. Okay? Like, forgiveness was done at the cross. Like, Jesus died so your sins to be forgiven. You have a home in heaven. But God loves you so much. He doesn't want you just limping along through life, miserable and broken, and not experiencing the joy that God has for you. So he says, come on, I want you to go through this painful process. And when it breaks us. It's painful because you know what happens? We recognize all the other broken places in our life that we've been relying on other things rather than God. We've been leaning into self-reliance. We've been medicating. And those areas have not healed right. And so God says, come on, will you lean in? Will you lean in so I can make you better and stronger? And the end result is this, verse 13. David says, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. He says, you're going to restore my purpose. Verse 15, I'll open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You're going to fill me. I have a life full of joy. God, is going, he wants to restore our purpose and our praise. Is it too late to say sorry? Never. Never. If you're still breathing, it's not too late. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I recognize that this is a, a difficult message to hear. God, it stirs up all these places. I'm not going to give a laundry list of sins because, God, I recognize you are already speaking to our hearts. God, you are speaking to those, those gray areas of our heart. Those things are kind of on the, the edge. God, those areas you've been convicting us of, those areas that we've kind of maybe even just written off. But for some, God, that there are areas of sin in our life that we have held on to because of shame or we've held on to because of fear. But today, God, you want to bring freedom. Today, God, you want to do something deeper. You want more than just forgiveness. You want to create in us a clean heart. So, God, we're going to lean into that. As we're praying this morning, though, there may be some that, if you're honest, you say, you know, I, I feel like I'm losing the joy of my salvation. I feel like I'm just going through the motions. I, I still believe, I still love God, but I don't have that relationship like I once had. You say, I, I miss him. 
I miss him. I miss sensing God's presence. I miss his voice in my life. And I want to tell you, God wants you to recover that. You can know him today. In a few moments, we're going to have this altar open. We'll have a time where we can respond to the Lord. Just cry out to God. Say, God, I want to know you again. God, I want you to work in my heart. Because as we know him, as we, as we get to know him, our beliefs will change. And our behaviors will change. And then the joy will return. I pray for that, that for you this morning. Others, maybe you've been asking for forgiveness, but God is offering you something so much better. He's offering you transformation. He wants to do something in you. It may hurt, but it will bring healing. And as we're praying for some of you, maybe you need to find a Nathan in your life. Someone who is close enough and cares enough not to just watch the destruction, but they see the drift. They see you. They see the, the small drift you have in your relationship with God. They see kind of the, the, the frustrations that's rising to the surface. They see you kind of just phoning it in. And they will love you enough to care for you and call you out and pray for you and encourage you. It might even be your mother-in-law. I don't know. God works in weird ways. And if you don't have a Nathan in your life, I would love to be your Nathan. The, any of the pastors who would love to encourage you and pray with you and help you Contend with God for what God wants for your life. Will you lean into that? Today is the day. It's never too late to turn to God. As we're praying this morning, there may be some that, you know, you've kind of been focusing on, on image management. You've worked so hard to, to try to be like what the world says you have to be like. And, and, and you have these desires. You want to look good. You want to look pure. You want to look right. But there's no truth on the inside. It's exhausting and ineffective. You've never fully surrendered your heart to God. You've, you've gone to church, you've gone through the motions, but you've never said, God, I give you my life for real. I want to give you an opportunity. If that's you today, as you're listening in this room, or as you're watching this online, you say, I've never given my heart to Jesus, and you want to do that, would you just raise your hand, or maybe if you're online, you can just comment below, let us know. I see that. Anybody else? See, I need to give my heart to Jesus. There in the back, God bless you. Anybody else? Put your hand up and put it down. I want to pray for you. I know who I'm praying for. It's awesome. Even if you didn't raise your hand today, if this is the intentions of your heart, it's, it's not a magic formula, but you are inviting God to be working in your life. At Vantage Point, we, no one prays alone. So I'm going to invite the congregation. Would you pray this prayer along with me? Make it your own. Repeat this after me. Father God, I give you my heart. I'm sorry for going my own way, for choices that have hurt me and choices that have hurt you. Thank you for sending Jesus to forgive my sins, to give me new life, to make me whole. I receive you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you said that prayer, I would love to, to talk with you at the end of the service. I'll be here in the front. I would love to pray for you. And if you want prayer for anything at all, we're going to have members of our prayer team here in the front. Why don't you just, if you're able to, why don't you just stand to your feet right now? We have these next few moments. We're going to spend some time worshiping God as, as the worship is going to play a song. And, you know, you can, you can express your heart to God any way you want. You can raise your hands. You can kneel right there at your seat. You can come here to the altar and kneel. You can ask one of our prayer team to pray for you. But I just want to encourage you. God, I, I just sense that God is moving in this room. He doesn't want tomorrow to be like yesterday. If yesterday was a day filled with pain and hurt and disappointment in yourself and, and prayers saying, God, I need to change, but, but it hasn't happened. God doesn't want tomorrow to be like yesterday. Would you be brave and come forward and receive prayer and allow God to begin working in your heart? Let me pray for us and the worship team is going to play. Father God, thank you so much that you love us this much. God, that you would put a book right in the middle of the Bible. God, you would, you would allow David, a guy who says that he's a man after your own heart, God, 
and, and it plays out his mistakes, God. It plays out his brokenness and his shame and, and, and his sin. And yet, God, we get to see his recovery because he leans into you. God, I pray that we would be encouraged. God, we would do the same thing. God, we would run to you when we're broken, when we're hurt, when we're ashamed. And God, we would receive forgiveness. We would also receive power, God, to overcome. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.